You know who's hardest for me to pray for is the spokeslayer at the White House. That's so ridiculous. Of that whole crew back there, it should be easiest for me to pray for the spokeslayer. Uh, and, yeah, it's disrespectful that I don't bother to remember their names. And it's a way of showing, well, boy, I don't even know if this is right. It might be horrible of me. But they're so interchangeable. And it saddens me because there has got to be some talents uh, that God gave these people. But look how they're used. And, I mean, the lady's name is Jean-Pierre, uh, Jean-Pierre Kearney. But listen to this. Listen to this woman <laughs> trying to defend the indefensible. In 2020, when Congress was debating uh, funding for replenishing the SPR yeah. uh, at a low price, Democrats blocked it, saying that it was a bailout for big oil. But now, President so Biden said I, today that it would be a, a good Yeah, I know exactly that. what you're talking about. You're talking about when uh, Donald Trump was trying to sell it at $20 uh, per, per, uh, per barrel. Buy. To, yeah, to buy it. Look, it was a different time then. It was not the same situation that we are currently in. The reserve was close to full capacity at that time, and so there was no reason uh, to uh, to to you know to make that type of uh, repurchase. But there was. President Trump stated the reason. He said, "We need to be." Energy independent. Part of that is having our own strategic petroleum reserves. Because unlike what people have been now led to believe, those that source of oil doesn't exist to get presidents reelected. And I'm sure Biden's not the first one to use it that way. But in this measure, at this at this rate, yeah, he is. And with this series of lies, and when it's his, the people who run him, who are forcing us to shut down or to keep at the lowest possible levels our petroleum production. That stuff exists in case there's a war. Because guess what? You can wish for all the electric airplanes you want. They're not going to compete with gas-powered, uh, fuel-powered elect- uh, you know, airplanes and tanks. Not right now and not for the foreseeable future because physics are physics. But to be paid to lie, can you imagine being paid to lie? Thanks, Grant. Um, in the 15 million barrels of oil the president talked about today, it's when you put that in the context, Americans consume an average of nearly 20 million barrels of oil a day. So for the actual impact of this announcement, when could Americans actually expect to see results of this when they're filling up at the gas station? So today's, today's announcement is about responding to the effects of Putin's ongoing war. No, it's not. But of all the lies, all the lies, this one is the most single most disgusting, and Zach Abraham is going to help us break it down. One more that folds in the president's top domestic priorities. In Georgia, the president's endorsed candidate for governor, Stacey Abrams, is suggesting that one one way to mitigate the effects of inflation is to get an abortion. Does President Biden agree? Uh, I did not see her comments on this, so I don't know the context of this. Again, I want to be careful because this is a political debate, uh, and it, it's related to a midterm and election. Uh, so I, this is, I'm not going to comment on that. Yeah, well, one of the things you can count on from the spokes liar is she has really, really high ethics. So that's why she's not going to involve herself in a political debate. 
Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. We so appreciate you and understand without you in the podcast family, there simply isn't us able to do it at this level, and certainly not um, not be financially secure in this and stewarding God's money, I think, in a wise way. Before we bring Zach on, I have a question for you. Um, years ago, I was working with my pillow, and all we got were the pillows. And honestly, I loved the pillows. I still have them. And I found that they are, it truly is this thing, the pillows last a lot longer because you can really wash them, and then they fluff back up. And, and I, when I first thought of my pillow, it's goofy. It's a flat pillow. It's stupid. And it came in this box. And I'm like, this is stupid. It's flat. But Mike Lindell and his team had told us, hey, the pillows are going to be really flat when they arrive. Put them in the dryer. They fluff up. You'll see what we mean. And okay, they fluffed up. And yeah, they do adjust to you. My question is this. I have been blessed with a box of stuff from my pillow uh, and some of the new products, sheets and towels. Uh, I think I got slippers. So I'm thinking about, I'm trying to figure out if I can endorse these guys. Now, Mike Lindell, as a dude, money where his mouth is, brave man. Refusing to back down, uh, even as his, even as they're attacking the heck out of his company. On that front, I'll support him all day long. But just like with Bone Frog Coffee, Soda Weight Loss, Bulwark Capital Management, if the product's not great, I can't go around supporting it. So my question for you is, and would you hit me up at the ToddHermanShow.com, send me an email, and just tell me what your recent experience is with my pillow, particularly the extended products. Customer service, things like that. If you've ever had a problem with the shipment, did they replace it? And um, ever have like a mischarge? Did they handle that for you? I just details I like to know. Reputation wise, you know, amongst conservatives, Mike Lindell is deeply loved. And I go back and like tonight I'll sleep on my pillows. And I think it's been six or seven years since we did that. I'd appreciate it. Always good to be joined by a brother. Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer, Bulwark Capital Management. Zach, welcome back to the Todd Herman Show. Good to be here as always, man. I'm uh, well. I mean, I, don't, we, I guess we'll have to see what the news is and what we go. I mean, maybe not. Maybe it's not good. But I'm happy to be here. No, I'm, I'm glad to have you here. And here's, you know, one of the things that um, that that came up today, just as you and I sat down to record. Uh, it might be that by the time people hear this, the CDC. Uh, will have voted to um, to make injections of kids uh, basically mandatory in schools, um, and this is this is happens on Thursday or no, probably on Wednesday. They voted in um, their panel recommended fifteen to zero, not a single objection, no no objections about adverse events, no objections about uh, pre existing immunity. No objections to the fact that kids are not in any way in any material risk. No healthy child in the United States died from the COVID flu. Did not happen. And so my question to you is, from a perspective of finance, 
Um, does this herald a new era of, of uh, American economics where we're not even going to pretend to care about safety? We're just going to shove stuff down people's throats and into their arms? Uh, I, we, this doing what I do for a living and then also having three children of my own. Um, I don't really, I don't have an answer on this one. I meaning this whole thing is anathema to me. I, I, I understand the Fauci's of the world. I think that they're pretty easy to understand, right? This is their shot at the brass ring and to be a big, important deal. And, Obviously, honesty does not rank too high on his, uh, <laughs> you know, on his on his list of important attributes to have as an individual. Um, it, but when I see something like that, a fifteen to my my immediate question for all of them, if they were sitting in front of me, I would just say, "Why? What? There is no. It is a complete." deep departure from any type of Hippocratic oath that any of them have taken. There is zero data backing it up. What, what the economic impl- I if, if we stop this via elections um, or any other way, uh, you know, I, I don't think any of these, I, I think this will be seen as a, as a passing thing. If, if this stands though, that's where my real concern comes in. Because there, again, and it's not you and me's, it's not me and your opinion, right? I mean, looking at Pfizer data, looking at everything that you have that is out there, that is undeniable, that is beyond, you know, that just, it it is what it is. It's numbers and facts. There is no medical argument for it whatsoever. And I I don't know if the economic implications are going to be there, but societally and socially they are, which is, at a whim, for any reason whatsoever, even when data and science do not back it up, they can shove anything down our throats or stick anything into our veins. They, this is what did they say, Todd? Like, here's the thing that blows me away: is again, I don't even know the the big push as a parent dealing with it with kids this age. The big push was all about transmission. Yeah, we're not worried about the kids' health. It's all about them getting the grandparents sick, right? Well, now we know from a Pfizer, <laughs> Pfizer's own employee, we've never tested it based on transmission. And we know through, through case studies and things like that, that it has zero impact. What, what is there? What is the argument right now? I, I don't even understand what the argument is. Well, and that's the thing is the argument cannot have any basis in science because of everything you just said. So I think their argument is uh, narrative. And I think it's face saving. I mean, if they were to come out and say, no, we don't recommend this for kids. Can you imagine the questions that opens up? Well, what, wait, you wait, you don't recommend it for children. Well, what do you mean you don't recommend it for children? And, and, and then there's this, there's this fact floating around. Zach, 5% of the kids who are um, eligible for these injections have not, have taken them. 5%. That amounts to 7% of all the injections that have been produced have been stuck into arms. So then you have this question of, well, what are we going to do with 95% of this or 93% of these injection material left over? What, what happens to that? Do we still have to pay for it? Do the taxpayers have to pay for it? I think this is a complete face-saving thing that they let it get this far. I, I, I cannot fathom at this point being unaware that this stuff doesn't help anybody uh, and is hurting people. And in my judgment, and I think the data indicated it's, it's killing people. 
But how could this not lead to the the emergence of a new form of capitalism of, hey, you know, we're going to need you to have this percentage of plant-based food, uh, plant-based foods. How does that not happen? Well, I so the, oh, on that part of it, okay, okay, so I see where you're going. That part of it, I, I don't understand, you know, especially when you, and I know, I know I'm preaching to the choir when I talk to you about this, but I, I've tried to explain this to employees and clients as well. When you live in a system that is so reliant and based on precedent, right, which it should be, I think that generally speaking, that's a a, a, a good way to do things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you bring up an excellent point, which is it's not this. I mean, this is bad enough, right? I mean, you're watching, and it just still blows my mind to say it, you're watching the entire medical industry come together in unison and throw their Hippocratic oaths out the, out the window. And, yeah. and there's just no argument for that, right? There's just no argument. There's no data. You know, you can call me a denier or whatever. You can throw any superlative at me that you want to. The, the, the facts are very, very simple. There is absolutely no medical reason for children that age to be taking this vaccine. So yeah, if you now require it as part of public, attending public school, or as Rush called it, Scruel, right? Yes, uh, God rest them. Yes. But it, it, God rest Rush. Um, if you require it, uh, yeah, I don't I, – I mean, because what's the argument? Public safety, public health? Sure. Why, why can't you mandate that 25% of your caloric intake come from plant or insect-based foods? I mean, yeah, the precedent's there. I mean, absolutely. Right. Okay, and so then we can expand this a little bit. Um, and I mean, this—I I want to get to some fact checking of uh, the figurehead and his spokesperson. And oh my goodness, Zach, I, I, you're going to get to be the fact checker today. Um, I want to play this audio for you. Have you just? Uh, <laughs> I know you're warming up, but now in California, they just—they have finally signed into law the Kidnapping Act. So here's what happens in California: um, is there? It's now law. Uh, that if you are a, a parent and let's say you're in a divorce situation. So let's say that the, you know, the, the parents get divorced. One parent uh, is unhappy with the custody agreement. So let's say you get divorced in, um, in, in Nevada. Chris Bray made this point okay. on, on Substack. It's a great, great blog called Tell Me How This Ends. So you get divorced in Nevada and one parent is upset with the divorce um, custody agreement. They move to California. When the kid shows up for a visit in the, in, in the separate country of California, guess what? The minute that parent says, my kid is, is this made-up word transgender, boom, the so-called gender-affirming care is now emergency care. It's now an emergency situation. And the parent uh, and the other parent who's against that has no rights. The custody agreement is over. The kid lives in the state of California. There is no visitation. It's 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 the most perverse thing you've ever heard in your life, um, and and it takes a, a situation where a kid's confused about their gender and turns it into a medical emergency. You see how this unfolds now that we just take the word emergency and blow it out. And to me, this is very related to the CDC because the same industry, Zach, pharma is driving this. Well, I mean. <clears throat> And it's it, it's amazing to watch this strategy rolled out. I mean, this isn't new, right? Yeah. So the, throughout history, 
And I know, again, I know I'm telling you nothing you don't know, right? But it's, you know, don't leave it, don't let a good crisis go to waste, right? It's always emergency powers, right? That's, that's, you know, uh, this is just temporary because we yeah. got to keep the folks safe and we got to keep the barbarians at the gate. And I mean, we can go back to Roman times. I mean, you can go back. I mean, this is just, I mean, this, this is like a line again, and I'm not, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but I mean, it's like a line straight out of the Khmer Rouge, right? Like we know better for you than what you do for yourself, right? We're remaking society in a just way. I mean, I, and, and this is, this is where I really have to fight Todd, the anger for lack of a better term at the level of cognitive dissonance that's out there in, in society today where I'm like, guys, we're not having political debates, right? We need to get back to the point where we're actually having political debates. This is patently insane. And, and the thing that frustrates me is the way that the media is complicit in hiding the true nature and the true magnitude of these types of laws. Because I think if the average person on the street understood this, I think that the electorate would look substantially different. Uh, I think elections would be going substantially different. And like I said, that's where I have to fight back the anger at the uninformed public because I, I'm sitting there watching these people load the gun that's going to be aimed at them. Um, you know, and it's just it, it, what, what you just said. I mean, anybody that has a child should be terrified by this. I mean, let, let's get outside of the discussion about how heinous and reprehensible this is anyway. Like, right. I mean, a child at that age making determinations about their sexual orientation pre-puberty, by the way, right? right? Like we're confused about my sexuality. Well, maybe part of that is because you don't have any sex specific hormones pumping through your body yet. I mean, you're eight years old for God's right. sake. Right. Yeah, it's like declaring a car a lemon on the factory floor when the only thing you've built so far are the axles. I mean, you don't even have the finished product for God's sake. Right. Um, so I, you know, I, th this, I, I just, I do not understand how anybody of sober mind can possibly support that. We had a discussion the other night. Well, it came off of a discussion at church where, uh, we've been focusing on the book of Ephesians and the spheres, uh, in our church, we call it spheres. So it starts with the abiding sphere the, the the start of the relationship with God starts with abiding in Christ. And then you have your home sphere. And, you know, I've made the mistake and I'm, I'm still digging my way out of it of not having discipled my family. And, and that's something that my family will pay for and I will pay for for the rest of my life. And, and God's, you know, God's capable of anything. You have your work sphere, you have your church sphere. And then outside of that, there's the spiritual sphere. Right. And so we've been talking about that. Well, we got in the spiritual sphere and a friend of ours has studied um, you know, demonic influence. And hey, I have news for you. If you believe in the God of the Bible, then you believe uh, in the devil, because he is talked about in the God as is in the Bible through God's word. And when demons begin to manifest, like when they begin to make themselves known, they're freaked out. You know, when, when Jesus would approach mm. a, demon, a demoniac, how many times did the demons go, wait a minute, hold on. What business do we have with you, yep. son of God? Wait, what do you, what, what we, we, we don't do business together. And what do you, you know, yeah. at, least, at least let us go into the body of the swines and, and be, you know, before you, you, you banish us. We're watching what, what right. could only be described as this, this, this manifestation of, of demonic influence that you're going to create a law that is a kidnapping law. Furthermore, if a kid gets there on their own, 
And they can walk into a so-called gender clinic and go, this is an emergency and both my parents disagree, but I jumped a Greyhound or a friend drove me here, right? And and, and how does that not then unfold into even further things uh, that's industry by force? It's, it's, it's consumerism by force. Yeah, it's consumerism by force. Um, <clears throat> and it's, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's even worse than that. I, it's consumerism by force. It's, I think it's one of the most obscene forms of child abuse that I've ever heard of. And it's, it's part of, and, and, you know, I, I think it, you'd be foolish not to acknowledge, at least in my opinion, you think you'd be foolish not to acknowledge the, a, a spiritual aspect to it because, you know, when, when you start confronting things like this, yeah. You, especially if you're a believer, you, you look at it and you're like, the, the only thing that makes any sense, right? This is so irrational. There's nobody that benefits from this law, right? Except evil. Um, and, and that's, that's the part of it where, where you sit there and you have to acknowledge, okay, it's, it's, you know, I hate to even put the vaccine on the same level because it, I mean, I guess it's similar, but this seems even more obscene. Um, I, I just oh, think yeah. it's part of a larger culture of death, right? Um, you know, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're still expected by these, these same people are going to make the arguments that it's racism and transphobia and bullying that is the cause of the, you know, for the first time in history, you've got an entire demographic, 16 to 25, where the leading cause of, uh, cause of death is suicide, right? Yeah. They're going to, they're going to tell us that all of these things that existed, right? When I was a kid growing up, right? I mean, how homophobic were we? We played a game called Smear the Queer, right? right. Uh, right. Football game, right? right? Where were all the suicides back then? The bullying, right? Back then, the transphobia, the homophobia, there were, we didn't see that. Right? right, we didn't see school shootings. We didn't see all this stuff, um, and so I, you look at it and you go, "This has got to be just part of a broader culture of death." Meaning, um, you know, going back to biblical, you know, they'll call evil good and good evil. I, I mean, that's where we're at, and that's why that that kind of brings up my point. I've made this argument several times. You know, if we can get back to the point where we're having political debates. I mean, what a, what a wonderful departure that would be, right? I mean, this is, this is insanity. And it's, it, it's, like I said, if anybody understands it, you know, California is a special lot, obviously, you know, their, right. their rape law. I, you, you've got to be familiar with this, that rape law they passed where literally a 24 year old postgraduate student yeah. can be having sex with a freshman in high school and that's not statutory rape. I mean, what on earth are we right. doing? I, right. This is just Listen, madness. We, we, we have to make this easier. And look, here's the other thing that I think we need to think about as well, is we are the most isolated society in American history. There's never been another society that didn't have multi-generational homes with kids trapped on phones, um, with kids. I, I can't tell you how many friends I have whose daughters have no friends, literally no friends. And I've met these kids. Yeah, They're sweet kids. They're smart kids. But they have no friends because they've never been taught how to make friends and they don't know how to do it in the real world. And that's the thing that's phenomenal right. to, to behold is they've never been taught how to do this stuff in the real world. We'll continue with Zach Abraham and get an opportunity to, in fact, uh, get him doing some fact checking of the figurehead and the crew over there. Zach's the chief investment officer of Bulwark Capital Management. And by the way, speaking of that, Zach has a big event coming up. 
And it's really for you. It's uh, coming up Thursday, October 27th at 3 p.m. Zach is putting on one of his famous free live webinars. And this is an opportunity for you to dig really deep into what does the uh, what does the bulwark capital management investment strategy look like? And bigger for you is is your portfolio. Is it ready for you know? It's a wild market. I call it the chaos economy. Are you set for that? I mean, this is like a weather test for your boat, right? Is your boat ready to hit the weather? It's like checking your uh, better yet, it's like checking your uh, your parachute. I mean, I know some people like to skip that step when they jump out of the plane. I'm I'm more kind of into making sure my parachute is uh is all get ge- uh, geared up. So. This is a free live webinar. It's Thursday, October 27th. Zach's going to dig into the core of Bulwark Capital Management's investment strategy retirement planning process. And it's completely transparent. Just a deep look into how this works. Why does the 6040 stock bond mix not work anymore? Why is it outdated? And their risk management strategy. Now, look, I said it's free. It is. It's a free live webinar, but understand this, this stuff sells out. It happens every time. I don't remember a time where Zach's free live webinars don't sell out. So you just go to knowyourriskradio.com. That's knowyourriskradio.com. And remember that space is limited. And remember this, the government makes me see it. Investment advice cannot be given with a client services agreement, Bulwark Capital Management's an investment advisor, representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC registered investment advisor. And boom, baby, got that done. Woo! Yeah, that's. Yeah, I mean, that's. I've come to expect it. I've come to expect <laughs> yeah, oh, wait. it. It's not. But I mean, anymore? You, no. I mean, if this whole radio gig doesn't work out for you, yeah, uh, you got some voiceover work, pal. That yeah, yeah. I mean, especially in the financial industry, man, you're gonna be yeah. you're gonna be a hot commodity. Nice. All right, let's do some fact checking. I'm using a new tool, so I'm not going to play the audio because that I didn't really hear that audio. So we're we're continuing to try to find the way to do this with good tech. And don't please don't come to me and tell me good tech is good. Our new tech is good tech. Um, Zach, so here's uh, here's what the figurehead said. Uh, let's uh, let's just dispel uh, with some some myths. Uh, my administration did not cut uh, oil production. Uh, qu- quite the opposite. Uh, we're, we're producing more oil uh, today uh, than, than when I when I uh, stole the White House from Donald Trump. And uh, pardon me, uh, I, I didn't say coup, <laughs> but he's saying there was no cut uh, in oil production uh, in the United States of America. So fact check. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, much I. I yeah I I was gonna say I'd love to be there to ask him a question, but I wouldn't because yeah. it'd be nonsensical. Yeah. yeah. So right now, I believe U.S. oil production is about a million to a million point two barrels lower than it was prior to the COVID deal. Yeah. So what he's doing is, I actually ah. think that this is probably this is ah. one of the more true things I think he said. Oh, so this is a yeah. So. Lie. Yeah, it's a truthy lie. So he yeah. took over, right? He was voted in November of 2020. Kind of. Um, <clears throat> due to bank, due to mass bankruptcies and yeah. mass turmoil in that industry. Yeah. Um, I, I think he's probably telling the truth in the sense that we have higher production from when he came into office. Yeah. But that was just due to shutting the entire economy down, right? So. Um, no, I mean, he's completely full of it. And, and if, if, if you look, this isn't like, and, and this isn't deep in the weeds stuff. I mean, you can listen to a conference call of any energy CEO out there 
yeah. they will tell you that the reason we are not producing is because we are enemy number one. And we have a president in the White House who said that one of the goals of his administration was to, quote unquote, get rid of fossil fuel companies. So, no, I mean, it's completely fabricated. We're, we're still over. And to give you an idea, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, that's about an 8% drop. Yeah. And people are like, you know, so for a million, million point two barrels lighter than we were prior to COVID, and 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 my numbers may not be exact, but they're really close. Um, to give people an idea of how much of an eight percent production drop is during the financial crisis, global oil demand at the bottom dropped like three and a half percent. Okay, so. The, the, now I know the price of oil went down, but what people don't understand is very, very marginal moves in demand can move the price a lot either side of it. So to, to sweep under the rug a reduction of a million barrels a day and to pretend like it's not a big deal, it's a massive deal. It's a okay. massive deal. And, and more, more importantly, let's compare that to the SPR, right? Which is, if those, if those, if we were back to full production, which would be very easy to do, he'd just have to make some allowances and come out and quit slamming these people constantly and threatening to drive these co companies out of business. But if you brought back on that million dollars of production a day, you would have no need for the SPR, at least right now, to keep oil prices contained. Um, look, and I think oil is going higher regardless, but, but, and and not in a straight line. I mean, it's going to be wild like it always is. But no, I mean, it, it. You know, even if you're even if you're playing Biden math, a reduction of a million a day or an eight percent pullback in production that's massive. Well, and then there's this, and this is a, another reporter. It wasn't even Peter Ducey, and this was awesome. A, a White House reporter asked the spokes liar. She said, "You produced uh, eighteen million gallons uh, or barrels, eighteen million barrels uh, from the Strategic uh, Petroleum Reserve." Americans use, on average, 15 million barrels per day. Uh, when mm -hmm. are we going to see the effects of this? And her answer was Putin. Putin, Putin. And, <laughs> and, and then she was asked by Ducey about President Trump had said, hey, we should fill the strategic um, oil reserves right now. We've got low oil prices. We should go out and fill this mm -hmm. at 20 bucks a barrel or whatever it is. And, and, and now it's, now it's triple that. And, and you know what her answer was? Putin. Her answer was Putin. Mm -hmm. And that, and, and then she said this, this is the first true thing this woman has ever spoken without, you know, and, and my no, no truth comes from her binder. She says that was a different time. Yes, that was a different time. And she said, because the strategic petroleum reserves was almost full, there was no reason to make that purchase. That's right. You never store things when the price are low you never acquire a staple during the low prices did i get the finance right yeah but <clears throat> i think it's even more convoluted than that and 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 here's the thing let's all stop and ask ourselves why there is so much focus on oil companies and the price of oil okay oil wti oil right now is right around 86 88 bucks a barrel when in the world did 86 to 88 dollars a barrel of oil become a crisis? It's not. It's absurd. In 2014, WTI, WTI oil, West Texas Intermediate Crude, reached a high of, I want to say it got up to 114, 110. Okay. In 2007, prior to the housing collapse, WTI crude 
brushed up against 150. Do you remember any talks about an energy crisis in 2007? No. The reason you have an energy crisis, right? The, 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 so they haven't helped at all on the production of oil. Okay. The issue you've got right now is the price of gas is way disconnected from the price of oil. Price of diesel is even the most disconnected. Okay. And this is why this is a complete joke and a complete sham. The reason is they're, they're focusing on oil purely as political theater. It's complete nonsense. The reason the price of the distillates like gasoline and like diesel are so much higher, right? If you showed me $88 oil, I would say traditionally I would expect diesel, again, don't quote me, but I would expect diesel to be around 3 bucks a gallon as opposed to five ninety. I think is where it's at. It's brushing up against 6 The reason for that, now Putin has a role to play in this, but not nearly as big as they're trying to play it out. But the reason for that is because you have not allowed us you know, through, through incredibly onerous environmental regulations, we really haven't built any new refining capacity in this country since the seventies. Okay. So we, I mean, think how stupid this is. We produce, we have the ability to produce plenty of oil to power ourselves, oil and that gas. The problem is, is that the refining capacity that exists in this country is designed to refine uh, much darker, heavier crude. So the kind of crude that you would get from Russia or the kind of crude that you would get from Saudi Arabia, right? Um, the type of crude we produce here, and people are always surprised. If you looked at, now there are places in America where you're going to get heavier crude, but if you look at shale in particular, the majority of the oil coming out of shale oil, which was, for those of you at home, the the shale oil was the big boom in the Bakken, right? In 2013, yeah. 2012, 20, you had the Permian Basin, you had the Bakken, you had the Eagleford, you had the Marcellus Shale. There are a bunch of these different shale areas. A lot of the oil that comes out of that is it's not black. It actually looks more like gasoline and it smells like gasoline. It's a much lighter distillate. And it's great for making certain things, but you can't get things like crude out of it. I also don't think you can get jet fuel out of it. So there's these distillates that we need. So they can sit there and talk about production numbers all they want, but they won't let anybody build any new refiners, refineries. So um, that's really the issue. So what you're seeing here, in my opinion, and you know they're just doubling down on it, but what you're seeing is <clears throat> you know, I mean, this, th this whole issue is a combination of, of you know, just completely ridiculous energy policy. And then also to be fair to the Biden administration, I think it's, it, it embodies 20, 30, possibly even 40 years of really short sighted and stupid en uh, uh, environmental policies, because, you know, especially with new refining capability, I mean, you can do this and not present any type of danger to the environment. It's ridiculous. I want to tell you, I want to ask you, and because you are very busy at, at Bulwark Cap, you know, tracking the markets and the chaos economy and keeping people, you know, out of risk as much as you can. Did you happen to hear the plan that the spokes liar at the White House who has her job because she uh, apparently is of the opinion that she's a woman and identifies as black and is uh, same sex attracted? That's her full, uh, full resume, full, full uh, curriculum vital. Um, did you hear her plan for... She checks uh, all the boxes then is what right. you're telling me. She stomps on them. She is the box. Um, did you hear her <laughs> yeah. plan? And, and uh, she and Stacey Abrams have a plan 
uh, for fighting inflation. Oh, no, but this is going to be good. <laughs> All right. I'm going to tell Zach about uh, Stacey Abrams has a plan. The spokes liar was asked about it and, and asked, uh, did Biden have an opinion on it? And, of course, Biden doesn't have an opinion on anything other than is the ice cream cold enough? So we'll talk about that with Zach Abraham. <laughs> Coming up, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Hey, I have yet another workout coming up with young people. Man, I'm loving this stuff. I love having friends that are in their 30s and energetic and good godly people and they keep me young. And this time, man, I'm going to put myself through the grinder. I'm going to I'm going to bring something along that doesn't provide anything, um, anything that's to my advantage. I'm going to dig myself a massive hole. And what I'm going to do in preparation for this is I'm going to go myself way into the soda weight loss protocol. Myself. Now, I don't have a tremendous amount of fat to drop, unwanted fat. But my goal is to get down to my wrestling weight from high school. Now, I have not been to that weight. Zach's looking very confused on the video. Why would you want to do that to yourself? That would That would amount to a... Not that much. I mean, that would actually amount to a 25 pound drop in fat on my body. But if I, or no, yeah, 30 pounds, 30 pounds uh, of fat on my body. If I can get down to that weight, I think I can shock them uh, on the, on the gymnastics. Now, the soda weight loss protocol is not about working out. Please me, you know, hear this. It's not about being a gym rat. It's not about, you know, wanting to prove yourself against the young lions because I'm not going to prove anything against these guys. Some of them are elite athletes. But the fact that I can do this in my mid-50s and have fun with it means that you can do it too. So it's not just about being a gym rat like Zach and I like to work out. You know, what I just talked about, 25 pounds, 30 pounds of unwanted fats, you carry that up and down the stairs every time you go up and down the stairs. Every time you turn over in bed, you're carrying that. Every time you walk on the snow, you're carrying that. And by the way, your heart has to feed that fat. And the fat's not doing much for you other than, you know, I guess storing calories if you need those calories. So soda weight loss is the protocol I will use for this. It's the company I use. It's where my loved ones are doing this. It's sodaweightloss.com. It stands for state of the art because it is. It's soda, S-O-T-A, weightloss.com. All right, Zach. So the um, spokes liar, Zach Abraham with Board Capital Management, uh, the spokes liar was asked a question about Stacey Abrams' view uh, that one way to fight inflation is to abort babies. And the spokeslayer was asked, uh, yes, yeah, spokeslayer was asked, does the, does the president has endorsed, Biden has endorsed Stacey Abrams? Uh, does he stand by her plan that one way to fight inflation is to kill more babies? Uh, <clears throat> okay. Yeah. I, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I <sighs> Did you get – was that in any of your economics classes, killing babies, fights inflation? No. <laughs> no. And and here um, – the, the, this is so sick. Um, okay, so <laughs> let's start by – so do, do increase – like do increasing birth rates create quote-unquote inflation? Yes. Okay, but they also are the greatest driver of economic growth and wage increases. All right, so that that's a fact. All right, so is is there is there inflation that occurs with that? Yes, but what really matters are is what we call real inflation, not nominal inflation. So, for instance, 
if the economy is growing at three and a half to 4% a year, and you have inflation between one and a half to 2%, that's yep. actually a very healthy setup, right? That's, that's good. Um, what, what, so what they're talking about, it, basically they're arguing for us to put ourselves in the exact same demographic position as Russia, Germany, and China currently are. If you want a complete disaster economically, and you want to watch your – look at Japan for the last 35 years, right? One of the lowest birth rates, and and they've got a completely inverted demographic curve too, right? So they're actually – they in Japan, it's gotten so bad that Japan sells more adult diapers per year than they sell children's diapers, right? That's wow. how inverted it's gotten. Wow. So if you, if you want – yeah, so if you want to see your investments – make negative returns for the next 30 years you're right that that's a good that's a good way that's a good way to get there and and you know dig put in perspective the nikkei the japanese stock market uh hit 39,000 brushed up against 40,000 in 1989 today it's at 26,000 okay so you're looking at 35% losses over the previous 32 years. Okay. And, and one of the biggest drivers of that was too much debt is one. And then number two or number one, depending on how, when you want to look at it yeah. is birth, birth rates at zero or negative. So, um, I, I mean, it is, it is an economically ridiculous argument to make. I mean, economically, if we were just looking at that as an economic policy, that would be the economic equivalent of cutting off your nose to spite your face. I do. To I sit do there need, and I, say I, that I, that's an answer to. Yeah. I just have to tell you she's black. Well, then I can't make any of these negative comments. <laughs> right. I mean, I can't disagree with her just, or I'm going to get canceled. Do. Yeah, because I didn't know if you know that she's a black woman too. So, we okay. and the other thing is, <laughs> I thought this was all of well, no, I mean, just talk about narrative drift, right? Like, right. I thought I thought the argument was all about my body, my choice. Now we want to kill babies because it's economically expedient. Like, what in the <laughs> world are you talking about? I mean, literally, vote for us because we're going to kill babies and we're going to drive down inflation. I mean, you I, had you told anybody that people would be running on this kind of crap 10, 12, 15 years ago? They'd have laughed in your face. They'd have called you a conspiracy theorist. I, this is insanity, man. This is why we call, you know, we re reference the Overton window, not Glenn's book, which I'm sure is a fine book, but the political theory that the job of a radical is to constantly expand what can be talked about in the realm of politics. Well, that's what I had on the economic front. What is it that you guys are tracking? Is there any new stuff, particularly for folks like I got notes from people in retirement saying, oh, too bad. I can't get my money with Zach. And I said, what are you talking about? You take your money. And now I know they're with you. They're in retirement. Um, but in that risk zone, that five to 10 to 15 years out, what's, what are you guys tracking now in, in, in terms of new risk or the chaos economy? What's got your attention this week in the next few weeks? Um, <clears throat> the, 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 a couple different things. So first of all, the reference, uh, anybody of any age can come to us and we're, we're the real cut. The, the problem is the majority of people have most of their retirement savings if, if they are not retired yet, the majority of their retirement savings are in their 401k plans. But what most people do not understand is 
in probably 98% of 401k plans out there, there is something called in-service distributions. So you can actually move your money out of a 401k to a private asset manager like us, even though you're still working at the economy, at the company, as long as you're age 58 or older. So even if you're working at a company and you got a bunch of money sitting in your 401k, you don't stop your 401k. You don't close it. You keep wow. contributing to it just the way you always have. You just take the money out of it, move it to an outside account. There's no taxes. It's an IRA rollover. And they'll let you do that at the age of 58. So just because you're not retired doesn't mean you can't move it. And awesome. people go, well, Zach, do you think it's a good idea to move it? If you can move it, you should always move it, even if you're not going to move it to us because you get rid of the administration fee, which usually isn't a big deal, but it's, you know, 0. 0.3, 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5% usually. Yeah. And more importantly, wherever you move it, you have infinite investment choices. You're not just stuck to the approved investment choices inside the 401k plan. So that's, that's just dealing with that. Um, a couple things that we're looking at. First of all, I think this market has gotten decidedly harder. Um, meaning <clears throat> what, what we, I think that you're looking at running a risk. It, very rarely do you look at a market where I, I honestly sit there and I think you can make an easy case at some point in the next 60 days that the market goes down 20% or the market goes up 20%. Now, what people need to understand is if the market goes up 20%, it will not be based on good news. It will be based on, uh, mechanics, yeah. It'll be based on a lot of people being short. It'll be based on a lot of people being hedged. Um, there's just a lot of internal market dynamics that, that, that can make markets move all over the place. Right now, the game in the market, the quote unquote smart money in the market is trying to game a Fed rate hike or rate, rate cut. And, and, um, what they're believing is that the Fed is going to have to start cutting rates and then stocks are going to take off. Um, we look at it very differently. I think that we're going to be up against it uh, economically uh, for a while um, for a variety of different reasons. And But what makes it tough is that um, the possibility of a, of, a, of a, for lack of a better term, a short squeeze or a bear market rally, you know, I, again, you know, I'm biased. Everybody is biased. I look at this market. I think it's got another 15 to 20% to go. And I think at that point, uh, you know, I don't think that that's extreme at all. Again, you're still looking at a market that's trading at 19 to 20 times earnings. So, I mean, this is not a cheap market by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, it, and it wouldn't be a cheap market. I mean, if, if you put it right now, again, go back to 2007 for some perspective. You've got higher interest rates right now than you did in 2007. Okay. So the higher the interest rates, the lower the valuation on the overall market should be. And, and, and the, and the thought behind that, guys, just for people at home, it's really simple. If I can make 7% on my money or 6% or whatever the number is, sitting in a essentially risk-free U.S. government bond, right? How much risk am I going to take in equity markets? Well, when you think about the S&P 500 over the last 22 years, if you've been in the S&P 500 since 2000, you've averaged about 7.6% annual growth. Okay, so when you look at the economic backdrop we're looking at today, if you could make six or seven just sitting in a no-risk bond, how much risk would you be taking in the stock markets? The answer is not not nearly as much, right? So, um, <clears throat> you know, so higher rates go, valuations need to come down. Well, everybody's like, well, that was a bubble in 2007. The S at the peak 
In 2007, the S&P was trading at 16.8 times earnings. Okay, so we're still above that, even though we've got higher rates of inflation or higher rates of inflation, we've got higher interest rates. So, I mean, you're still disconnected. Um, all we've done so far this year is somewhat normalized to higher interest rates. Everybody's like, oh, it's so bad. And you're like, well, no, I mean, how, look, the Federal Reserve injected what? I mean, when you look at the whole shoot match, probably about $4 trillion into the economy over the last two years, if you add up quantitative easing and things of that nature, um, that's all stopped. That's all going into reverse, right? So it makes sense on a valuation basis, on an economic basis for us to get back to levels that we were at at the end of 2019. Now, that's the fundamental basis, right? We also have to understand what kind of market we're in. So yesterday, to give you an example, Netflix came out and announced their quarterly earnings, right? So the headline number is uh, Netflix beats on new subscribers, all right? So great. Okay, they beat on new subscribers. That surprised the market. Stock rallies 15% in the after hours. Today, it held that rally. It was up 14 or whatever it was. Okay, well, you start digging through the quarter. Their EBITDA, their earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization Right, which is just trying to look at, hey, if we look at the core of a business, take out all this other noise, is the core yeah. of the business doing better or worse? Their EBITDA is down 8% year over year. Right? <laughs> this is a growth stock. Okay. On top of it, their whole the whole uh the, the their whole corporate strategy has been we're gonna win the streaming wars because we're gonna outspend everybody for content. Well, again, you read through their quarter. Reed Hastings, CEO, gets up there and says, we're we're really dialing back our spending. Our competitors are in there blowing all their money. We're going to play it smart. That's not the way to go. Okay, well, looking at it through my financial brain, I sit there and I go, okay, so you still want me to consider you a growth stock, right? Even though your EBITDA is declining 8% over year and you believe so much in your growth strategy that you're dialing back your own investment? If, if if you believe this growth was so certain, why in God's name are you dialing back the money and that you're investing into your own growth? So you want me to invest more money in your company as you're investing less? What, why would I do that? And And so when I look at the market, I still see this idiocy reigning, right? The, the, and, and what I mean now, does that mean I know where Netflix is going? No. And I'm not saying that. And Netflix, maybe two to three, four years from now, will be a lot higher. Who knows? All I'm saying is when you start comping it to other companies like even Google, right? Netflix right now is trading at like a 35% premium in terms of their underlying valuation to Google. Okay. Now, Netflix's top line revenue growth was up 6.1% year over year. Google's still growing at 14% a year with way better free cash flow with $130 billion on the balance sheet. Um, and you're and you're going to pay a 35% premium for Netflix that wow. really still isn't even producing any free cash flow. So wow. I read through that quarterly report and I went, this looks like a busted company to me, right? The, the whole idea that we can spend infinitely and we'll never outgrow that, yeah. right? That's gone. There right? was a time. The, the was- mountain of free there's there a time zap. No, go ahead. And it's it's no, it's coming back. It's just coming back. This is this this happened to me uh, when I was doing the startup stuff, and I was in uh, in and out of Silicon Valley raising money and um, trying to sell the company and you know bringing in venture capital. 
I, I'll never forget this day. We went to a very big deal um, VC, uh, and we were really excited to get in the door. And we met with the big deal partner at this very big deal VC. And you know what? He was a super nice. Oh, hold guy. on, hold on. We, 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 was it? We, 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 yeah, but was this like a Biden? Was it like a big effing deal? Remember that one? <laughs> Remember, remember when the figurehead said that? Yes, I do. Yeah. When he said that to, to, to Barack Hussein Obama. Mm -mm. Yeah. I don't, yeah. uh, as a big man, I don't use that initial, but yeah. So we're, uh, we go into this VC (laughs) and this guy, he's, um, if I were to use his name, uh, people, even casual observers of venture capital know who he is and turned out super nice guy. Um, and he listened to this thing and he said, you know what? I don't think this is for us. We don't get the media business. But I got to tell you, you guys have done a heck of a job of, of creating some actually interesting technology. I mean, this if there were other applications for this, it would be interesting. And I think I know exactly who should invest in this because they get media and I am a limited partner over there. He sends us over there. He says, can you stay another night and you know go meet with this guy? So he set us up with our B round is what he did. Super nice guy. And he took us out to the deck. And they had a sun deck. And he brought us – he said, hey, come have lunch. You know, you guys are on the road. Come and have a nice lunch. Zach, they had a live lobster tank um, out on the sun deck. They had people cooking wow. fresh crepes out on the sun deck. Um, they had um, imported cheeses from Italy out on the sun deck. And I said to this guy, I said, so, John, uh, this is a lot of food. The partners pay for this? And he laughed. He goes, you know what? Work hard, play hard, man. Work hard, play hard. And that day – from there, I went downtown San Francisco. I went into the offices of Salon.com. And he'd said, you know, we're oh, really yeah. excited that you've invested in Salon, that you have a deal with Salon. We like those guys. Um, we invested and then figured out we don't get the media business, but we still have money in Salon. So I go down and we're at Salon.com. And this is, a, this is a company that was in the red. This is a company that was burning cash. Sweet people. Uh, uh, unbelievably nice people. Dear, dear people, actually. Even though they're liberal, they were dear people. They're burning through this cash and I meet with their CEO and, oh, we're going to turn the corner and profitability is near and, and you guys are helping with that. And hey, Todd, come and have dinner now. Let's, you know, you guys are on the road, come and have dinner. We go out to have dinner and guess what's in their office? Live lobster tank, fresh crepes. They've got that big wheel of Brazilian meat that they're cooking there. And this is exactly what I said. I said, so Michael, what's the special occasion? He goes, what do you mean? <laughs> I mean, you brought in all this food. What's it's this? Oh, it's no, dinner no. time. Yeah, we do this. We do this every day. We they do this. This wow. is what we do. You know, Todd? And he said, work hard, play hard. So that sort of stuff comes from the top, right? That's that's the sort of, you know, culture flows down from the top. What you're describing to me is why yep. I call this the chaos economy. And next week, you know what I want to do? It's been a while since you guys, you and I have jumped straight into the conspiracizing tank. So here's, here's what I want to tackle next week. So far, the figurehead has given people access to $20,000 in taxpayer money without proving they ever went to college, without proving they're owed any money, without proving they are them. He is he's dra- siphoning money at night with a hose from the Strategic uh, Petroleum Reserve. Um, he is letting the border stay open, et cetera, ad nauseum. What, in, in, if they lose the midterms like it looks like they're going to, what are they willing to do economically to try to keep the figurehead in office? I mean, you think about what's it going to be, just $100,000 for anybody who asks for it? So could we dig into that next week, the sort of perverse you know, levers that exist and what they might do? Not to give them ideas, but they've thought of all this stuff, haven't they? 
Yeah, no, I mean, that, I yeah, I think that would be great to dig into. And then, <clears throat> you know, just to tie it up, too, on our end, yeah. other stuff we're watching. It, it, I, I may have mentioned this before, but everybody needs to be, be keeping a, a pretty close eye on China. They're okay. making me really nervous, especially because they're ramping up the aggressive talk, right? Yeah. Um, there's no reason for them to be doing that economically when you look at the forces they're up against. And the reason that makes me concerned is that um, I think that they're going to have to devalue their currency. And if they were going to have to devalue their currency, picking a fight with an external force makes all the sense in the world because that's the way you maintain control domestically without oh. admitting that you're right. First of all, you got to find a scapegoat. <sighs> you got to blame somebody outside of the country. And then you start a military conflict to try to stay in power. So hopefully that doesn't play out. But what concerns me is I we through our research and, and our look through and there's not a lot of look through in China. So I'll be the first to admit that it's very hard to look at it. Yeah. But we believe they're under massive financial duress um, with just in the last couple of weeks. They're ramping up the military talk. And, and that concerns me because the only reason they would do that is if they are under significant financial duress. So that's something we really need to keep an eye on. Wow. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know, we had General Boykin on, um, retired, uh, Lieutenant General Boykin, uh, like three weeks ago. Uh, and he is far more concerned about China than he is Russia. And he's concerned about them in terms of espionage. Yeah. And it's his contention that they have infiltrated every level of government up to the most senior levels. Uh, so that stuff could be very, very bad. Well, Zach, it's always a pleasure. Uh, Jack, Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer, Bulwark Capital Management. I ask you to go with God's good grace. Keep the faith. Thank you, Zach. Hey, thanks for having me on. Good as always. And everybody have a great week and looking forward to talking to you again next week. Absolutely. And this is the Todd Herman Show. Please go be well, be strong, be kind. And let's remember this, that God did not create a world of shortages. God created plenty. In every instance that the Lord Jesus showed us, it's just faith that makes the difference.